We're going to be looking at a passage in the Proverbs tonight, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17. Uh, call it the importance of friendship. The importance of friendship. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. <coughs> Excuse me. One of the most basic needs that we have in life is the need for companionship, and a part of that certainly is the need for friendship. But what is a friend? Uh, the humorist Irma Bombeck once said, a friend is somebody who doesn't go on a diet and lose weight while you're still fat. Uh, now that is a friend. Um, <laughs> uh, that might have some application, I don't know, but uh, we probably need a deeper consideration of friendship than this. And if you go looking for quotes about friendship, you'll find multitudes of them, everything from Hallmark cards to philosophical debates describing the meaning and significance of friendships. It's all out there. It should come as no surprise to us then that the Bible talks about this a lot. And when the Bible talks about any subject, the Bible doesn't talk about every subject. But when it does address a subject, it does so authoritatively. And absolutely, very specifically then, it speaks to us about the importance of friendship. And we're going to be looking not only at the passage that I've read to you tonight, but a number of others that talk to us about friendships. Uh, I don't want to necessarily harp on this. It has come up. I talked about it some this morning. Uh, I want to talk about it again tonight. Uh, because of the predominance of social media in our lives, we have developed a whole new concept. Of friendship, of friends. Um, and it's a, a concept that really is kind of difficult to wrap our minds around when we look at what the Bible says about it, what friends actually are, uh, and then we look at what we're calling friends today. When you go online, you have friends that you don't even know. But there you call them friend. They're on your friend list. Who are these people? I don't know. Uh, back when I was really active in social media some years ago, I, I made it a rule. If I didn't know them I, in real life, I wouldn't be friends with them on Facebook either. That was my rule. And uh, I, I live by that pretty, pretty strongly. Uh, in fact, I, I had to go back after I made that rule and unfriend some people. Unfriend. That's another weird concept when you think about it. This might, well, we're friends on Facebook. We're Facebook friends. I know some of you kids are sitting there thinking, ah, oh, Facebook is so old. Oh, wait, I know, I know. So we're Twitter friends. So we follow each other. There's a whole new language that we have developed around friendship. And maybe we've forgotten if we ever knew it in the first place, that the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And the word communication, if you read that in a modern translation, they will all say evil companions. Because really that's the meaning of the word. It's talking about companionship. But you see, back in the King James world in the 1600s, there really was no way to have a companion without communication. 
and really a whole big part of what it meant to be a companion to somebody was this is somebody that you communicate with. And of course, if you wanted to communicate to somebody back then, you know how you did it? You went over to their house and knocked on their door. You walked up to them on the street and stuck your hand out and, and you actually talked face to face, had a real conversation. This is my friend. How do you know it? We get together and visit. We converse. Evil communications then, the whole concept to them about friendship, about companionship was the way that we interact with one another, the way that we communicate one to another. When your parents and your pastor and your youth pastor all tell you kids, be careful who you hang around with, that is absolutely biblical advice. Evil companions corrupt good manners. Now, we do not take that to an absolute extreme, and we're ten we have uh, a tendency to do that. We'll hear something like this and say, okay, does that mean that I can't be around anybody who's lost, anybody who doesn't know Jesus? Well, if we applied that rule completely, uh, we would lose any evangelistic opportunities that we ever had. Uh, and so, uh, and furthermore, in order to do it completely, we're just about going to have to look, go live in a monastery somewhere, and, and that's not a good thing either. Be careful, though, who you hang around with is absolutely biblical advice for us. It's right here in our text, and so we take that seriously. Uh, we can interact with people, but we do so in a guarded way. We guard our heart. This may not be a relationship we want to invest in. Uh, we say even more today, be careful who you're friends with on social media. You know, it once was easy for parents to say, I don't want you to play with that person. Or I don't want you to go to that person's house. That was pretty common. Uh, I have to admit to you that when I was in fifth grade, I didn't much like it. And it's straight up, I didn't like it. Uh, I mean, I wanted friends, and these were sometimes popular kids, and, and uh, man, they, they were having to get together at their house, and Mama wouldn't let me go. And I pouted. Can you imagine Brother Rich pouting? Oh, it's hard to imagine. I did. I still pout sometimes. I do. I pouted about it. I can't believe you won't let me go over there. Well, what's wrong? Well, my parents knew something I didn't know. And I could spring forward with you a few years later, and then I got to know. It wasn't in fifth grade. It wasn't in seventh grade. It wasn't sometimes even in twelfth grade. But once we started doing the adult world, and I look back at some of those folks that my mama wouldn't let me play with much, and now I know why. But you know, it's very difficult for parents to keep you, young people, from playing with folks online. They could take your phones away from you, I guess. Uh, but you'd get somebody else's. They could lock you off the computer, I guess. But you'd borrow somebody else's. It's just... Difficult for them to control. 
your online presence. And that means, kids, it's up to you. But I don't just say this to kids. I know a lot of grown adults that have been taken in by friends that they've met online. Taken in, taken advantage of, taken for all they had. It's out there. But we have to be careful because we're living in a world, you see, where there was once a time when companionship and communication went together. You were companions with somebody. Somebody, you knew this person. You saw them. You knew what they looked like. You recognized them. They recognized you. You interacted with them on a very personal level. You knew where they lived. You know what kind of life they lived. You communicated then with this person. You interacted with this person. You were companions with this person. But now the companionship is completely gone in many cases because you are communicating many times online with somebody you don't know at all. And even if you have a passing knowledge of them, that is, you'd know them if you met them on the street, you know who they are, you kind of know what they're about, maybe a little bit about them. But the fact is, what you see online (laughs) is not the real person. Um... It wasn't all that long ago till people went to get what was called glamour photography. You know what that was? Y'all remember, some of you do. You paid good money to go to have somebody take a picture of you that didn't look anything like you at all. (laughs) It was an amazing thing. I know it's hard to imagine now in our high-tech world. But I think about that. I mean, you see this person at the glamour picture, and man, I mean, everything is just perfect. They don't have any blemishes, no, nothing. Their smile is 100% brilliant white. I mean, everything about them takes about 15. They say the camera adds about 15 pounds, not glamour photography. It takes that and many much more away. It was all a very popular business for a while. You need to remember, folk, what you're seeing online of people is very much like glamour photography. I mean, we don't even imagine, really, how much this all has changed our world and changed the way that we live our lives. Uh, You go on vacation a lot of times. If you're not careful, you're going to find yourself going from one photo moment to another photo moment to another photo moment just so you can impress a bunch of people on the Internet that you don't even know. I didn't get any amens on that one. (laughs) Sorry, that was a little harsh, but true. Just the same. So we're past the companionship part, but the communication part is very much, and that's really why I chose that old King James uh, uh, translation tonight uh, for this passage. Be not deceived. Evil communication uh, corrupt good manners. It can lead you down a very negative, bad road. Maybe you've noticed that some of your friends are always communicating to you in a negative way. Uh, Have you noticed that some of them, uh, they not only see a different world, but they come down on your world all the time. And it ends up with maybe somebody that you're friends with and it's not even them, but then something you say or something you do ends up on their page and then some of their friends that you don't even know are down in what you're doing. It's an intimidating world out there, isn't it? 
We don't like negative press. Oh, we don't like people talking bad about us. It's people we don't even know. Oh, evil communication. <laughs> uh, be careful who you're friends with. The communication part of this has given us a whole new world to interact with. These people aren't our friends at all. They don't even know us at all, but they have a powerful impact many times on what we believe to be true, what we do, what we don't do. So tonight, I, I want us to go beyond all of that. It's one of the great things about the Bible. It's an ancient book. It's been around for a long, long time. It's written by God himself, God the Holy Spirit, inspired it to be written so that everything that's written in this book was written down exactly like he wants it to be written. And it's written for our instruction. It is written for our example. It's written for our admonition. admonition. Though we're a long, long way away from the world that these writers lived in, in some ways, in a lot of ways, it's still the same. People are still people. Problems are still problems. Temptations are still temptations. And friends, what does the Bible say about this important subject? Well, one of the things I want to talk to you about tonight from this passage is that friendship in itself is a very precious commodity. Precious. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Have you ever wondered what makes a precious stone precious? Tobin, Brother Tobin can answer this question for us very, really easily. Uh, but most of the time, it is precious because of its relative rarity. Sandstone is not precious. Sorry. White quartz. I thought about this a lot when I lived in Saline County. White quartz, unfortunately, is, is not precious. There's too much of it. Granite, shale, flint... You start buying some of that stuff to put on your driveway and you may think it's pretty precious. But uh, uh, diamonds, diamonds are precious because they are relatively rare and extremely beautiful and durable. And it is that rarity part that makes... Uh, beyond that, you know it's a really good thing if you can be friends with your spouse. And I've said this over and over again, over and over again over the course of my life and talking with hundreds of couples before they got married. I said one of the most important things for you to do right now before you're married is to work on being friends. Because if you can be friends together, then you can stay together. Uh, when you, even when you get married. Marriage uh, is not something that kills our friendship. It actually can enhance it. It's a great thing. Uh, you see, this kind of friendship is not casual. It is not necessarily intimate, although if you're married, it can be. And that just adds a whole another dimension to things then for husbands and wives who are friends together. If you're having trouble in your marriage, this is where you start. Uh, you work on being friends again. That can be the hardest part, by the way. You can work on being friends again friendship. Uh, you need a friendship with Jesus Christ. You need a friendship with your spouse. And uh, beyond that, you've probably got a few really close friends and they're precious to you. Friendship then is precious, but it is also powerful. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And the power of friendship is found in the fact that a friend loves. <laughs> a friend 
The Bible says, loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. Now, the, the, the connection between friendship and love was so powerful that the Greeks had a special name for it, for that kind of love. Uh, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, brotherly love. The love of friendship. And it was considered to be a very powerful form of love because it is. The Bible gave us a great example of this in the case of Jonathan and David. In 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1, And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking to Saul, and that's David, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know that this came after David had gone down into the valley of the shadow of death and, and conquered the one who had the power of death, and that was Goliath. In this whole passage, you see David is being treated as a beautiful type of Christ as he was many, many times in his life. <clears throat> and so Jonathan knew. You see, as the heir apparent to the throne, it was Jonathan's place to go down and fight with Goliath. He would have been the one to have taken his father's place. When Saul then was challenged, it was Jonathan who should have accepted this challenge. But of course, Jonathan didn't do that. He knew how it would work out if, he'd, if he had have done that. He knew that uh, it would have resulted in his death. And so after this, and Saul had gone and spoken with David, and, and they had some time together that Jonathan saw David, and his soul, the Bible says, was knit with the soul of David. They were friends. Jonathan did something at that point that would have sounded somewhat peculiar, uh, perhaps in our world. Uh, you see, Jonathan took off his armor and he laid it at the feet of David. You see, he knew that Goliath would have taken that armor. He took his sword and his bow, his weapons both of offense and defense. He laid those at the feet of David. He took off his royal robe that indicated his position as heir to the throne. And he gave that to David too because he knew that David was the heir apparent. The one that God had anointed. You see, David, Jonathan had every reason to loathe David. <laughs> Not love him. But he did love him. He loved him as a friend. After Jonathan was killed, and we don't know really when that decision was made. There was a time then when Jonathan had surrendered his weapons and his armor to David. And, and he was going to allow David then to be in full control of that armor, full control of those weapons and all that he was he gave to David. And they had a friendship then that was forged in battle and the shared experiences that they had had over the years. Even when Saul was trying to kill David, Jonathan remained his friend. And that was difficult for him to do. But they had those shared experiences. They had that time that they spent together. Jonathan knew who David was. And he knew what David would become. And he had pledged it all to David. We don't know when it played out that Jonathan ended up taking his armor back. He might have just got him another one. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. He might have got him another bow, got him another sword. Don't know about all that. 
But I know this. Jonathan ended up fighting for the wrong king. We can understand it after all that was his father. His father David, his father Saul. He died fighting for the wrong king. They took his body and nailed it to the wall of the city of Bethshane. It's a horrible, disgraceful thing. It was in 2 Samuel chapter 1 then that David said of Jonathan, I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. In our culture today, so many have grasped that statement and tried to make it into something uh, that the Bible would have forbidden. I can assure you tonight there was nothing, nothing in this that would be something that people would use today. Jonathan loved David as a friend. He loved him as a successor. He loved him as the Lord's anointed. And David loved him back. David loved Jonathan in the way that you love a person who commits their life to you, who surrenders their life to you, who serves you. Remember, in this whole passage, David is presented as a type of Christ. David's love for Jonathan then was a figure of Christ's love for us. And Jonathan's love for David was a picture of our love for Jesus Christ. It's more wonderful than any kind of physical relationship could have ever been. It was something different. David described this love as wonderful. And I want you to know the love of a true, trusted, and devoted friend is indeed wonderful. We all need them. I hope you have some. You may not have many, but you need a few. And when you have that true, trusted friend who loves you at all times, he knows you better than anybody, and they, they love you anyway. That is a precious thing. Don't be fooled into accepting some cheap imitation, high-tech version of friendship that is not real. Don't be fooled. In this and in so many other ways, then, the Bible speaks to us of, of friendship. A friendship that can be forged in shared experiences in deep communications. Friendship that overcomes even the madness of someone like Saul. A friendship that goes to a deeper level. A friend loves. Then the second thing the Bible, this passage then tells us, is that a friend loves at all times. That means a friend lasts. True friendship is defined by its lasting nature. Uh, Proverbs 27 and 10, Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Isn't that interesting? Your own friend and your father's friend. Hmm. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of thy calamity, for better is a neighbor that is near than a brother that is far off. A friend loves at all times. True friendship is defined by its lasting nature. 
Chances are tonight that you have experienced the same thing that I have experienced. There were people who did me good, who were kind to me. <laughs> Not because they knew me very well, but because they knew my dad or they knew my mom. And the Bible talks about this right here. Your own friend and your father's friend. Forsake not. Friendship is one that is built on love. Friendship love. And that love then lasts. A friend loves at all times. A friend looks. This passage speaks of how a brother is born for adversity. And the construction of this passage is similar to what we say when we say, well, he was born for that. I'll tell you, when you have a, friend, a true friend, it can begin to feel that way. It's like God put him in the world just for you because he knew you needed him. And they might say the same thing for you. God brought us together. That's a precious, precious relationship. A friend looks out for the interest and the needs of his friends. Proverbs 18.24 then says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. God doesn't leave us to wonder what showing himself friendly means. It means to stick close even when adversity comes. It means to see the trouble of another and go to their aid. It means to stand up for someone when they need to be stood up for, when they're being put down or taken advantage of. Proverbs 27 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. <laughs> oh, yeah. When, uh, when you start grinding on steel and steel hits steel, the, the sparks fly. And sometimes that happens in friendships. Don't give up on it. Remember, uh, remember this passage. Just because the sparks are flying doesn't mean you're not still friends. Somebody can tell you something you don't want to hear and still be your friend. Somebody can tell you something you don't like and still be your friend. In fact, it is a precious, precious person who can tell you the truth. That's why the Bible also says in the same chapter, Proverbs 27 and 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The wounds of a friend are faithful, and it's rare and precious to us to have a friend whose opinion you truly value because you trust them, listen, to tell you the truth. We're almost done. This kind of friendship must be anchored in reality. And the world of social media doesn't allow that. And that's why we need to learn and cultivate how the, the importance of people, precious people, that God brings into our life that we know will love us at all times, that friendship then lasts and they stick with us through adversity. Lastly then, friendship, and this is really kind of just summarizing the whole thing. Friendship is personal. Jesus said in John 15, 15, great passage. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard of my Father... I've made known unto you. Isn't that a great concept about friendship? Why does Jesus call us friends? Because he said, I've told you everything. Isn't that interesting? 
I call you friends. Why? Because I've not held anything back with you. I've told you everything. I want to remind you again tonight that of all the friendship relationships that we will ever have, the most important is to be a friend with Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is because he changes us to be the kind of person that others will want to be a friend with. But it's so personal, this idea of friendship. You say, man, I really want a friend. Well, this is where to start. Be a friend to Jesus. You can be a friend with Jesus in the same way that he's a friend with you. Tell him everything. The old hymn writer perhaps said it best, I must tell Jesus all of my troubles, all of my trials. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. Be a friend with Jesus. Also then, if you want friends, be a friend. He that would have friends must show himself to be friendly. Now, Dale Carnegie did not write any part of the Bible. <laughs> He's not inspired, but he did make a good point when he said you can make more friends in two months by being genuinely interested in other people than you can make in 20 years of trying to get other people to be interested in you. That's a great Dale Carnegie point. You want to be friends? Show other people your interest in them. Show yourself friendly. And when you do that, then they'll be interested in you. They'll wonder what makes you the kind of person that is actually truly interested in other people. If you want friends... Uh, be a friend with Jesus. That's number one. He'll change you into the kind of person that other people will want to be friends with. Number two, then, if you want friends, show yourself to be friendly. And the third part should be obvious, but it's not anymore. If you want to be friends, if you want friends, go to where friends can be found. Go to where friends can be found. And by now you should know that uh, I'm not talking about Facebook. Not talking about social media. Um, going to where friends can be found. Uh, one of the great places of making good friends is in church. God's house. And I know what COVID has done with us. Believe you me, I know. I know what this virus has done to us. And I know what it's done to our world. I know it. But a part of what it's doing to us is it is isolating us from other people. And that's not good for us. I don't know what all the solution to that is. But I know part of the solution is going to church. Going to church. Go to where friends can be found. And the last thing that we do, if you want friends, you need friends tonight and you do. Then number one, be a friend to Jesus. He'll change you into the kind of person that other people will want to be friends with. Uh, number two, if you want friends, be a friend. Number three, if you want friends, go, go to where friends can be found. This is just an aside for us tonight. It's not in my notes, but I, I, I debated with myself and did. Have y'all noticed that anymore it's hard to even get people to call you on the phone? We don't even want to talk to other people. We just want to text. I send them an email. It's a strange world that we're living in. You want to be friends? You want friends? Go to where friends can be found. You've got to interact with people. 
And last, pray to God and say, God, I need a friend. Understanding then that your first friend is Jesus Christ. But, oh, Lord, I really could use a friend right now. You know, it's amazing what God will do to answer that prayer. Some of you may have struggled in the area of friendship. Others of you might be a social butterfly and you've had more friends than you know what to do with. Uh, back years ago, when I first got on Facebook, many, many years ago, I, I knew a fellow. He was somewhat famous. <coughs> somewhat. I knew him. He knew me. I sent him a friend request. I got an automated response. So-and-so said, I've got more friends than I know what to do with. That's not exactly what it said, but that's how I took it. I, I've already got enough friends, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not accepting any more friend requests. I said, okay. <laughs> You've got enough friends, huh? I've never really felt that way. It was in, just an interesting kind of thing. Some of you might be one of those people. Well, I've got more friends than I can keep up with. I'm just... But on the other side are those who really, really need some friends in your life. Ask God for them. Um, I'm going to give you a personal example tonight. I do that some, don't do it all the time. Uh, but I grew up in a very, very small town. I grew up in a very, very small church. I surrendered to preach while I was still in high school. My circle of friends was very, very small. Mostly older people. I moved from there to Little Rock. And I'd never felt so alone in all my life. I prayed to God and said, God, I really need a friend. And you know, he sent me a bunch of them. And over the years of my life, though time and space so often intervenes, God has sent me so many good friends. Being a guy, <laughs> guys are like this. I might not talk to him for five years without even being mad at him. I can go fishing with a friend, and I may not say five words all day. It's a real friend, by the way. <laughs> when you can go fishing with them and not talk to them all day, and neither one of you get mad, because you understand, fishing is serious business. That's why. <laughs> we can talk after a while. Right now, we're fishing. Friends. God has sent me so many friends. He'll send you a bunch too. You might not see him every day. might not talk to him every day. But I'll tell you what happens when you have a need in your life. They're going to show up. They're going to call you at a time when you wasn't expecting it. But you're really, really glad they called. When you need them, you can call them. And they'll be there. Precious commodities. Friendships. I don't know how long it's been since you've heard a message about friendship, but you've heard one tonight. I can preach to you about friendship because it's in the Bible. God knows we need them. He warns us against bad companions. 
He tells us to develop good, godly relationships. He warns us about evil communication, and I don't know of a more pertinent message for modern-day Christians living in America than that one. Evil communications. And he extols the virtue of good friendships. I hope and pray tonight that if you're feeling alone, that you're talking to the Lord and you'll take to heart the things that we have talked about tonight. But the greatest friendship, again, that you need is that relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that, you can. You see, we were all, we're, here we are in our sins. And yet Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. And he gives us a simple plan. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll come into your life in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He'll save you. And he'll give you a companion that truly does stick closer than a brother. I hope you know him. And if you don't, I hope you'll receive him as your Savior tonight. You say, well, I'm not sure if I'm a friend to Jesus. Let me tell you something. Jesus is a friend to you. And he'll develop a friendship with you and much more if you'll just let him.